Kevin, I have a question for you. Yes. What is this episode about? Answering questions. Well, I have some more questions about that, but I'm sure we'll answer them soon. On Surviving Seminary. Welcome to Surviving Seminary. I am your host, Jason Stark, and with me is my co-host, Kevin Sutherland. Hello, hello. We ended the last episode talking about the significance, like the so what, of your research. We're in the midst of a suite of episodes on writing a research paper, and we talked about in the last episode showing your readers how your research is going to be relevant. We're not trying to be interesting for interesting sake or win a popularity contest, but we're trying to show readers how the research is going to be relevant and important and why they're going to want to know about the stuff that you're writing about. That could either be through clearing up some misconception or something that solves a real-world problem like practical research. Yeah. So uh, we've been referencing the craft of research, and they make this distinction between pure, quote-unquote, research and practical research, whereas the practical will hopefully solve some actual real-world problem, whereas the pure research is answering questions that may arise. And I can't necessarily say that um, for Kevin and for myself, we're not always necessarily handling a lot of practical research stuff, are we? No, I mean... Often what we're doing is we're clearing up maybe misconceptions in the text or whatnot. So it may eventually work its way out into a practical reality, but uh, it's often a long, circuitous path to get there. And shout out to like our friends that are in, say, the intercultural studies area. Yes. Like I would say they have a lot more potential to be doing practical research stuff mm. and things that are really going to be more closely and quickly impactful on people. So hats off to them. Um, but whether you're doing pure research or practical research, either way, this part of this process and the part that we're going to be asking about today that we're going to be looking at is questions and how questions lead to problems that we find. Yeah. And so we've been talking about uh, reading when you are trying to narrow down your topic, we talked about you, you are relying on prior knowledge. So either knowledge that you carry with you already or, you know, things that you're reading when you're doing your research pro process. And so there's certain kinds of problems and questions that you look for uh, that will drive your research to make it more significant for your readers. Um, one of the first things, I've got a list of four things uh, that I've kind of cobbled together, and I'm not sure how much of this is relying on the craft of research and other research books I've read. I know some of it can rely on there, um, so I'm not trying to plagiarize this as uniquely mine, but I've just thought about this. Like Number one, we have problems that are current in whatever field that we're working in. So I had this example of Pistis Christu, which is uh, Greek for the faith of Christ. And there's a big debate in studies, especially uh, authors and scholars focused on the Apostle Paul. Um, does that mean 
the faith in Christ that people show, believers are to show, or is that the faithfulness that Jesus has shown? And so that is a big debate that is raging in that field right now. But below that, we have problems that someone else raises that are maybe not a major issue in the field, but you know, there's often a section at the end of uh, papers and books and and I where they give ideas for further research. So you might find something along there that can, you know, spark some ideas about these are questions that need to be solved based on your research. But another problem set that you can find, the third one is that you might perceive problems in someone's research that you're reading. Again, we're tapping into prior knowledge here, but as you're reading, you can go, well, that doesn't quite seem to make sense with what I know from some other thing. Or even though they're saying this, this is contradicting what they're saying somewhere else. So those are the kinds of problems you can do. And then there are problems that strike you on your own. You know, occasionally you'll have a thunder strike out of the blue that you're like, wow, I've never thought of that problem in that particular way. And as you say all of these the thing that keeps striking me is just how much reading you have to be doing throughout mm-hmm. this whole process. I yeah. mean, we could probably have had, we're not going to do an episode that's just on reading. Um, we've talked about it enough when it comes to knowledge base, but depending on the kind of problem that you end up identifying that you're that is going to drive your research forward, there are different levels, well, different categories of reading that you're going to have to do in order to make that work. Like problems that are current in the field, you've got to be read up on the field generally and understand where the hot points are, where the flash points are in the research for that question. Or um, in order to know a problem that someone else talks about in their research, but they kind of just leave it there as a little gold nugget there for someone to pick up and take with them. You mm-hmm. can say thank you to them later for it. Mm-hmm. Or a problem that you sense in someone else's research. Obviously, you have to be familiar with that person and generally familiar with the field uh, in order to in order to catch that stuff. And then for problems that strike you on your own, you also have to be very well-read or you have to get well-read. Because yeah. if you just see this problem on your own, you might be seeing a problem that other people have seen before yeah. in the past. And you then have to go out there into the field and kind of scour over the different research that's been done on it and say, has anybody else noticed this? What did they say when they notice it? How do they view this versus how I view it? And at any rate, it takes a lot of reading that's going to happen in the midst of all this, either prior to or during, in order to help you clarify this for yourself. Yeah, there have been a few papers where something struck me out of the blue and there you'll find a few footnotes that I've turned in that say, out of my own research, I found no one else said this. Uh, I did that with uh, one thing that I, and I listed out that I had looked through 46 grammars and lexicons uh, that were written on this particular topic that I had done. Um, and then there's other ones where I've had this epiphany in my head and then I found someone else say it and I said, unrelatedly, so-and-so found the same idea. And as annoying as that is to not be the first person, at least that says, hey, I'm not crazy because I came up with something that somebody else came up with. Yeah, but um, as as you're mentioning that, 
I appreciate your outline on this because you bring out the reality that we've we've just gone down this list of of different problems that you might find, and they kind of range the ones that we talked about first. They kind of range from the broad to the narrow. Mm-hmm. Broad meaning like well known and talked about by a lot of people. Narrow being like it's coming from your own observations. Right. And the 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 closer to the beginning of the list that you get, the broader, then you're going to have to work harder to make this topic and how your paper goes. You're you're going to have to work harder to make it significant for your readers because it's all if it's something that everyone's talking about then you're entering as a little fish into a really big pond. Yeah. And you've got to find a way to take this topic and enter into it in a unique way versus if you are finding an issue that that legitimately nobody is like talking about, then that's going to be easier for you to make an impact as far as that particular topic and question is concerned because you're kind of striking out into new territory. So there is kind of a scale of what it takes in order to find that relevance that we've been talking about. Yeah, I like to look at it two different ways. Um, as you mentioned, you know, when you're at the top of that list, problems that affect the field, you could probably get, if you could somehow get this published, you could probably get a lot of readers that would come in and say, oh, maybe they've got something interesting to say. But as you're saying, you have to work really hard to say something unique and different in those instances. So the fact that of the matter is it's easy to get significance like people will be interested in reading it but it's hard to actually contribute in that sense uh you're not going to be as likely to make some new point that no one has considered because lots and lots of people are trying to put their heads around this whereas when you're down at that bottom part you can kind of set the limits you can say hey this is a new field no one else has thought about this or this is a new approach to the problem no one has thought of this and suddenly you can make a big impact and or let me say you can me create new ideas and be unique but there's a bigger chance of people being like so nobody else has been talking about that so you're gonna have to work a lot harder to show how important your field is I'll say this is a stressful thing for me because I'm always getting kind of stressed out about, well, I already talked about how it's difficult for me to find topics for my own reasons. But even when I do find a topic, I start to get nervous, like, eh, what if somebody's already been talking about this? What if what if this has already been done to death and nobody wants to hear about this? Right. And so I, I think that that ties in for me back to the idea that we have to trust in God as we go through the process of writing a paper, and we have to trust that uh, as we turn to Him, that we will uh, we'll find our way, and our papers will find their way, and that we don't have to make it so much about—it can become about be, trying to be the best and trying to be the the— the brightest, not for the sake of God's calling, but for our own sake and for our own egos. And um, obviously, we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. But you can get creative, you know? And it's not just about you coming up with something that is fully your own. I'm not talking about plagiarizing people here. But sometimes when you come up with a creative idea, it can be—you can take pieces from from 
this researcher and that researcher, thoroughly cite them, please. Yes. But you can take pieces from one person's research and another person's research, and you can kind of synthesize them together in some cases, for example. You can say, I really appreciate so-and-so's method on this particular area, and I appreciate this person's conclusions and feel like they could be taken one step further in this way, and I'm going to bring them together and create a paper out of that. You can get creative. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to this idea of the model of the pyramid again, because maybe right now we're like on a lower but mid-level section of it. But the more your base spreads out, the more widely read you are, the more chance you are you have of seeing a connection maybe in a completely different field that can touch on your topic in a way that no one else has thought about because maybe they haven't read the same material, they haven't read the same authors or whatnot. So again, the further out that pyramid of reading knowledge extends for you, the better your chance of being able to say, here's this person over here, and here's this method that this other person way over here came. And if we combine the two, they either mutually reinforce each other, or maybe it clarifies or corrects some aspect of it. And that can be a paper in itself, even if you don't come out with a new conclusion, but you can say, this is another reason why this consensus over here is true because no one has thought about it from this angle, but this also shows that A equals B or whatever your actual paper is. And so the possibilities are virtually endless. The permutations and combinations that you can come up with, there's a lot of potential for your paper, whether you think there's a lot of potential or not. Trust me, there is a lot of potential. So to bring this back around and kind of begin to bring it to a close a little bit, we have to find problems, yeah. and uh, they, they could be called research problems. They're based off of questions that we come across in the course of our research, and, and as, we, as we come to those questions, they raise uncertainties for us as to why things are the way that they are in, in the particular topic that we're looking at. And so I, this is important. This is very important as far as the research writing process is concerned because we write for a purpose. We don't just write reports. We don't just say, hmm, here's some interesting, here's some interesting things about this that nobody really cares about or that 10 people have already said this exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll cite them all, of course. I don't want to plagiarize anybody, right. but I'm just saying what they said, mm-hmm. and that's the end of that. You know, research writing is about entering into a discussion and finding a way to contribute to it. Yeah, and I wanted to echo that with a real-life example. I went to this, one of my first academic conferences, and uh, I was sitting in on this session, and a researcher got up, and the entire time this person was speaking, they were just citing other people. And I was really kind of shocked that they had made it into an academic conference when they had nothing of their own really to contribute. All it was was a state of the research, even though they were portraying it as that they were solving things. The only unique thing they added to was this really improbable aspect of things. And all of the rest of the paper was this person says this and that person says this, and we all know this. And so at the end of that paper, 
I just couldn't help but feel like I had wasted my time a little bit because I was really hoping that I was going to get some new fresh insight into, and it was about women in, in leadership in the church. Um, I was really hoping I was going to get some new insight into this, uh, the, this issue. And I just walked away, you know, feeling like I had not learned anything new, just that everybody else uh, had already said everything that this person had already said. There's a saying in the theater world, to give you a a piece of my background there just a little bit, Mm -hmm. but that drama is not about the day that nothing happened. Mm. When you read a play or you go see a play or something like that, you're not seeing a story about the day that nothing happened. Right. A play comes, you, you watch a play and you, you see that story on the stage because in the story something important happens in people's lives and and something is going on in people's lives that is interesting. So to bring that around to the research writing process, a research paper is not about the fact that nothing is happening Right. with what you're finding. You have to be able to contribute something to it in order for it to be significant. And that can be a challenge uh, and it can be a stress. I I totally get that. I'm experiencing it right now. Mm-hmm. It is it is stressful. There, but that can be a healthy stress because it helps us to grow. It helps us to uh, gain experience in our craft and to become better at what we do. And we rely on God for it. We don't trust in our own strength for these things, or at least we shouldn't be. Because when we rely on God, then that ultimately will make our papers better quality. Yeah, so I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, We really appreciate you all listening to this. We're about halfway through this writing suite. We're not sure exactly how many more episodes we've got, but uh, probably about three or four more. So keep listening in. Yeah, as a reminder, this is our kind of final go. We're having a final run of episodes here. Uh, Go back and listen to the first part of this writing suite if you have not listened to it, but we are going to bring Surviving Seminary to a close at the end of this suite. We really want to, all throughout this, we want to thank you for having listened and supported the show. And if you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. So you can go to our Facebook page, Surviving Seminary Podcast, and from there you can send us a direct message. You can get our email address there and send us an email. You could also go to our website that you, that is linked there, and you can find all of our episodes that you can listen to. When we, when we close down the show, we will keep our most valuable episodes there, and you can continue to listen to them. And uh, we really hope that this is valuable to you. We hope that you can use things that you're hearing here, and we hope you come back and listen to the next one. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.